What I particularly like are the conference circuit after, of which we've both been a part of, and, and you're sitting in presentations, and I'm never, ever going to name names, but <laughs> I, I've held some pretty senior positions during incidents, and I can tell you that the person presenting didn't have that position, nor did they do what they said, you know, and yeah. that's, that, again, that's a whole different oh, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, Suzanne, when we talk about the decision-making process, and, and you would see this during, you have a great perspective because you see the decision-making process outside of crisis, but trying to push a, a business continuity program uphill <laughs> when there's no support for it and, and people trying to make decisions around that in non-crisis. And then you've also seen the, the decision-making process or requirements during crisis. So during crisis, what are things that you could provide guidance to? I'm a corporate manager. I'm faced with some tough decisions. In fact, every decision I make is difficult. So what kind of guidelines or, or advice would you give to them that they're facing these decisions today, tomorrow, and for the foreseeable future? I think that one of the biggest things is what we're talking about earlier is that the whole teamwork to be able to make them aware that they are not alone and that they have a pool, hopefully have established and developed a pool of resources that can help guide them through. Another important thing is to help ensure and make them aware that they're not superheroes and that they need to be able to make sure that, that the only way that they can help their company is to be able to ensure that they're stable at home as well as in the office and mentally. And I think that's something that we're seeing a lot more of now, but that we're gonna see a lot more of in the future as well, is people really acknowledging in leadership positions that they really do have to maintain their own psychological first aid and have access to that and ensure that their families have access to that too, because whatever happens in your home life is going to come back and reflect to you in your work life as well. So if you're comfortable that things are going okay at home, then I believe that makes you a better leader in your position and making better decisions because you feel a sense of comfort because you've taken care of things at home or things are being taken care of at home. And then again, that it's not all on your shoulders as a leader when things are happening because you've got a great team that you've developed that trust you and you trust them. And you've hopefully established a good relationship with them by developing these business continuity plans and working with people ahead of time and doing the training and really being physically there at the exercises and the drills that we hold. And that's another example that I've seen where sometimes you'll say, oh, we're running a, a tabletop exercise and then the leadership don't show up. And how do you then really expect to be able to lead during a real crisis if during those moments you think you're too busy or too important or whatever the reasons are that you can't spend two hours or an afternoon being with your team who realistically are the ones who are going to guide you through when and, and the most interesting thing of that too is mandating that people attend that when they don't and and i think it's important for us as leaders and to tell everyone out there that to jump off of what you talked about with regard to self-care and those types of things, walking the walk as a leader, being authentic and, and what you say and do need to be very much in alignment during crisis because people are subconsciously looking for that. I think to your point about self-care, you can't tell other people to take care of themselves 
when you're stuck at the office or in the home office 24 seven bags under your eyes, unshaven, not showering, whatever that looks like and, and say, Hey, Suzanne, you're looking a little haggard. Not that we can say that anymore, but you're looking whatever. (laughs) Maybe you need to take a, right. Thank you. Would you agree with that with regard to making sure that you're demonstrating what it looks like? And that's what leaders are supposed to do, right? Is we look to our leadership to be able to mirror what they're doing or what they're saying, which is, goes back to the whole, of course, being able to be calm as well. If you can communicate to your group in a calm way, then that's going to calm everyone down as well. And people are going to look to you for that. But yeah, they look to leaders for examples. So if you've got a leader who's telling you one thing, but then doing the complete opposite, plus a lot of leaders, if they're honestly, if they're running 24 seven, a lot of them expect their team to run 24 seven. Good point. How can you really do that? And, or if they don't expect it, people feel guilted into it because you think I can't really take a break or because I see my boss is going at it constantly and Mm -hmm. it's going to look bad. So that's why they need to portray and demonstrate all of that, that they need to be able to instill in the people who are supporting them. Because a lot of people, I know I've been like that in the past, where if I've had a workaholic boss or a leader, then I think, or they're asking all the time, you think if I'm not a workaholic all the time, then I'm going to look bad. And Jamie Coots, Chief Coots, retired Slave Lake 2011 fire and He's a good friend of mine. He's, I've also talked to him about the summit. And one of the things we talked about was as a leader, and I'll speak for myself, and it, it sounds to be consistent with other folks that have been in leadership positions. I have never given a direct order except when it comes time to tell people to go home. And that's the only time I've been like, I'm sorry, I do outrank you. I am senior to you. I'm telling you. You go home right now and you leave your phone behind. And that is the only time because I think to your point, people feel so guilty. They feel personally invested in the response and the crisis and all of these other things. And so as leaders, that's one piece of advice I often share is look, but they don't want to go home. I'm like, tell them to go home, period. No, no ands, ifs, or buts. And that also alleviates them from that burden of staying. It's I guess I can't, I literally have to leave. Is that something that you've seen as well, where people just, they're just clung on to something and, and okay, I'm going. And then they come right back in and yeah. finish more work. That is that you something that you've seen as well? all the time. I'm sure you've seen it a lot. I've seen it in, uh, yes, a lot in different areas. And it doesn't really matter what industry uh, or what community or geographically where you are. That a lot, but I think that now we're seeing people really recognize and maybe choosing and selecting different leaders based on what now we realize are effective leaders. And now that society is being a little bit more open and aware of the, being able to show your vulnerabilities, it's not about being a commander. It's about being a cooperator. Mm-hmm. It's not about competition. It's about collaboration. And that really, if you can find a leader who thinks that way, you've already won the battle, I think. Leaders who think that way about collaboration versus competition, because that is where we've seen failures and things mismanaged during crisis. 
is people who leaders who are under the impression that it's still a competition between you know their company and another company or their agency and another agency versus during a crisis or when when you really need to come together it's it's not about competition it's about collaboration but there are certain people that just don't have that mindset those people potentially may not be the right ones to then be put in a leadership position when they need to be the face of the organization. And in their defense, I would think you agree, they've had an environment where they've never had to cooperate, where it's always been about competing with, and and that's how they actually got to their position was because they're very technical competent, technically competent. They were very results driven. They were all about focus and 24 seven working and, and, so we rewarded that behavior to get them to where they are. But now they're having a real tough time in some cases of breaking that paradigm because it's the learned behavior and it's been positively reinforced their entire career. That Yes, you step on the competition. It's about the bottom line. Right. And I'm curious, Suzanne, with regard to your experience, both on the front lines and also planning, one of the challenges I think that leaders uh, face is this balance between short-term thinking and long-term planning. And the reason I say that is because, for instance, for us, when we respond to a, a municipality or working with a company, one of the first things we think about is how are we going to recover from this? And people look at you like you have three heads. Dude, yeah. are you kidding me? We're dying here both figuratively and literally. And I recognize that. But in my opinion, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, the quicker we can transition to what that long-term plan looks like and start to enact it, the better off we're going to be because COVID, any crisis is never permanent, folks. So be careful, pop and smoke and heading out and bailing out like we're we will recover. So what have you seen or what would you give to those leaders or managers that are like, what do you, there's no time to think about that other stuff. Oh man, this is the exact time that they should be thinking about recovery. Specifically, let's say, let's use COVID-19 as an example right now. And as I'm looking, and I did a couple of media interviews today with these thoughts in mind actually, is that I'm hoping, and I'm sure they are, but what they should be doing as well, the leaders who are behind the scenes now working on the long-term long road to recovery that this is going to be, right? So we need to be, although a lot of us now, because of what we're faced with, are in reactive panic mode, realistically, or reactive mode anyway. But in behind the scenes, I'm hoping what every company is doing now, because everybody is going to be impacted by this, directly or indirectly, they should be looking at how they're going to ramp back up after the orders are lifted and society starts coming back to a new normal because we will never go back to normal we will be going back to a new normal so how do you that term that is a kind of flashy term that's been around in the industry for a few years is how do you build back better and that's really what every industry should be thinking about now and government and i'm sure a lot of them are governments anyway thinking about and sitting down now they should be having a planning group that's sitting down now thinking while the response group are reacting to and responding to what the reality is and what's happening they should be having and and we know that this is something that is instituted in a lot of places ahead of time with part of your business continuity plans and your emergency response plans is you've got this planning group that should be set aside that are thinking about ahead of time what is going to happen in the short term and the long-term recovery 
And every single emergency management plan should have, if they don't already have, should have a recovery section in it. Every business continuity plan for every organization, their recovery plan needs to be just as thick, if not thicker, than their response plan, as well as their mitigation plan. It should be just as considered as all of the, the mitigation, the, the preparedness, the response, the recovery, if anything, is much more just as important as all of those other phases, especially when we're in something like COVID-19 right now, which we know is going to take us months and at least a year before we can have a vaccine and at least two years before it's completely eradicated everywhere. So we really need to be thinking now so that we're not constantly going back to reactive response mode. So that the, here's another thing that we should be planning for specifically on COVID, but really for anybody who might face an infectious disease outbreak or um, something similar is there's gonna be a second wave. Historically, there always has been. We're even seeing, I believe, a, a second wave happening now in China and the areas that are starting to, they, they've had it a couple of months lead time to do that, but we're gonna see that. Historically, every single pandemic situation, there's a second wave. Why that happens, there's different reasons, but one of them is in several weeks or months when the communities start lifting the orders and people start going back into society and people start forgetting about the basic messaging of the best way to prevent this from being spread and that you catch it is by washing your hands constantly. People are gonna start forgetting about that or thinking, oh, we're back, it's maybe not such a big thing. And then we're going to see a surge in cases again. Not as bad as now. But if we prepare, people should be thinking about that now. And it's not about panicking about it. It's that, okay, we know now we're in it. Mm -hmm. We know that in several weeks or months from now, we're going to face another surge. So let's start planning for it now so that we're not in reactive mode. And communicate it to your staff. Communicate it to your communities now that you're already thinking about it. You're on the ball with it. You're thinking about it so that they know that they don't have to panic and that you're going to be reactive in panic mode again. That's going to instill comfort within your staff and your communities is knowing that, oh, they got this. They're already thinking about this. And it's going to help you get that proactive um, response out instead of just reactive. And because you're going to just be stuck constantly reacting and you're never going to get ahead of the curve, not just and, the the, not the coronavirus the curve, curve, but right. the continuity curve. Yeah. And oh, again, so much to unpack in what you talked about there. But one of the areas I, I want to draw people's attention to is, let's say you don't have a plan, but that's where leadership becomes even more important. And your job as a leader is to look after the team, both short-term and long-term. And so if you're deep diving into the weeds of the operational, what's happening there, no one, so you, you just have your low beams on when you're driving at night and you're going to hit something, but your job as a leader, it's yes, short term, look at the you know low beams, but as quickly as possible, put the high beams on and start looking ahead of what this looks like. So it's a really important point that you brought up because if you want to get into proactive mode, you have to get out of the weeds. And unfortunately, the human experience is when we're stressed out, we do what we're comfortable doing which a lot of times is if, if we have a CEO that's from IT, I promise you that individual will be walking through the server rooms of the company looking to see what servers are turned on because that's their comfort zone. And so right. that's just so important. And then you talked about the communication piece. 
how absolutely critical that is, not just operationally, but in taking care of your people, alleviating their fears. Because as we've talked about, the human condition is if I don't know something, my default setting is to fear it. And part of the leader's job, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts around the leader's job around psychological safety. What does right. that look like? And they need to be promoting that more, but leaders themselves need to be like we talked about this earlier. They need to recognize and be honest with themselves about and being aware of their capacities and if they're being overwhelmed. And they really need to be able to be self-aware of that because realistically how can you command your team if you're just right involved 24 you're going to burn out you're going to burn out and then you have to worry about who's leading your organization if and when you burn out and you have no control over being able to now command that response or the recovery so you want to make sure that you remain self-aware and some leaders are able to do that and others perhaps are not but People as leaders really need to be honest with themselves and, mm -hmm. and it's for themselves. It's for their own good as well as for the benefit of their whole organization is, is it, does it look better for you to, to your company and your employees that, Oh, you're working constantly and you know, you're 24 seven on. And then all of a sudden you're gone because you've burned out or you've been fired because you've over, overexerted yourself or overwhelmed yourself. You don't want to be in that situation. So mm -hmm. leaders really need to think about that. And meanwhile, you've left a plethora of poor decisions in your wake leading up to your eventual either burning out or getting fired as well. And I think it also re revolves around as a leader, finding somebody that you trust that can call you out in a very respectful, normal way. And it's something that I put into place every single time when I have somebody working with me, I'm like, Hey, Kath, a couple things. One, if I start to micromanage, which is, I know is a, is a tendency of mine, put up your hand and say, Daryl, I've got this. And it's completely innocuous. I trust her. I value her opinion. And I want to stay the heck out of her way. And recognizing also as a leader, I do have the ability to deep dive if I want. Because it, it happened before where, hey, Daryl, I've got this. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I just need, I do need to know because I'm brief and blah, blah, blah. I do need to know a bit more detail, but it, it's about being comfortable and setting that system up as soon as you can that, hey, is that the right decision? Like you can tell me that I'm a little bit out to lunch on that one. And it's not done in a public form, but it's somebody just, hey, Suzanne, you feeling okay? Oh, I'm fine. How about you take some time off and, and just have that trust? But that's so difficult, so difficult for leaders, particularly during crisis. So one last, again, we could talk for hours and out. At least I could. I don't know if you could anymore. But. Yeah, yeah, I could, definitely. So let's say, Suzanne, you have a corporate manager. They're, this is new to them. They don't have a plan. They don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty good at their job when everything's going well. But man, this is something you can't have a playbook for. So you have a couple of minutes with them and, and one of the managers comes up to you and you're going to go sit down for coffee and you have a couple minutes. What would you tell that corporate manager taking all of your experience and trying to distill it into a couple of kind of lessons or watch out or anything like that? What does that conversation look like? I would say that you're going to get a much better sense of comfort, even if you don't have a plan, 
in place and it's your first time coordinating a crisis or you've just started, being aware of the competent, great people that you have around you and making friends with them before a crisis happens and being able to have trust them and they trust you back. And the best way to do that is to establish those relationships ahead of time and also identify, and it may, it's not just leaders, that some leaders that might not be in the positions that they're in. It could be some team members as well. So also being able to have the courage and identify, and the only way you're going to find that out is to be interacting with these people. And then perhaps there are some people who are leading areas that shouldn't be either. Some of your team members that are not the right team members. And as you identify that, not to be afraid to be able to remove those people from those positions, because those are not the people that'll be able to help guide you through and support you. It's all about teamwork, specifically during a crisis, but anytime really as a leader, you should be, you're managing a team and they should be respecting you and that you should be giving them a reason to respect. They should be respecting you, but you should be respecting them back. And if there's not that level of comfort and that you think that really that person would be able to support you during a crisis or when times get tough, then they shouldn't be in those positions. And leaders also need to be able to make those tough decisions either before a crisis, sometimes it happens during a crisis, sometimes it happens afterwards. But hopefully, if you're able to establish those relationships right away when you start and you become the leader before a crisis happens, you're gonna identify who's gonna help you during a crisis and who, maybe, why are they in this role? I just started here, I didn't hire them. Whoever did, maybe didn't know better or maybe they were a friend of somebody or whatever it is. We've all seen that as well. So people really need as leaders to be able to recognize their own limitations, but also their team members. And if they have the right team members to support them, and if they don't, then I'm not saying necessarily fire these people, but don't put them in the positions that they, that they won't be able to manage and support you during times of crisis. Because you're ultimately setting your both of you up for failure. Because mm-hmm. in my experience, that person knows that they're not fitting in or they're not doing what's required and and you're actually setting them up to fail and going back to that psychological safety you need to be taking care of your people and and part of that is putting them in a position to succeed because they're already hypersensitive to what's going on there so suzanne just to wrap it up where can we find you you're obviously very active with dealing with media and so on and so forth so where where can can you find me while i'm on twitter at at SB Crisis. I've got a website, it's my name, so pretty easy to find if you just www.suzannebernier.com. I also have the Disaster Heroes website that focuses on, again, I think it's, and I'm seeing it now, FEMA, if FEMA are reaching out and talking about the importance of talking about Disaster Heroes, then we've reached success, where now I really think it's about not, there's an extra P that we should be adding to this public-private partnerships talk that we all talk about. It's the personal, the mm. people aspect. It's, yes, public-private partnerships, but it's about people. And we, I've seen that happen more and more, so that's encouraging. But, yes, yeah, so Disaster Heroes focuses on that. And what I've been finding is people in the industry now are starting to welcome and recognize 
that the best way sometimes for us to get the message across to people and leaders about what really happens behind the scenes and is to be able to share personal stories. Mm-hmm. And some of us who have not had the good fortune or misfortune or whatever you call it of being involved in responding to emergencies don't really get to see the positive sides and don't really get an idea maybe for, hey, I have a specific, specific innovative skill that not necessarily as a trained first responder, but I have something that I can add. So that's really the message that I'm trying to get across. Now the book is out, but now I'm running a podcast and I'll be, I interview people, these heroes, these everyday heroes, so that people can hear the voices of the heroes as well. And that it really will make a difference as opposed to it just, oh, that's something I read about. But when you actually hear the real people telling their own stories, that's just so important too. And so the other thing that I've, I've done, and this was a, a suggestion by one of the heroes that's profiled in Disaster Heroes actually was there's an audiobook coming out where I'm going to read all of the chapters. However, the heroes themselves, where I've put the quotes in, you're going to hear the heroes oh, tell so their own good. quotes. So good. So you're going to hear Ronnie Gold from New Orleans, who created the Spirit of Louisiana fire truck after 9-11, drove it cross country to bring to New York. And then it came all the way back four years later with a bunch of firefighters from New York to help rebuild uh, New Orleans after Katrina. Then it went back to New York City to help rebuild Hurricane Sandy just because of one guy who was a telephone engineer sitting in New Orleans, watching President Bush deliver an address on Ground Zero, picked up the phone, called a local talk show, started a fundraising campaign. And you get to hear him tell his quotes. And I interviewed him in the Disaster Heroes podcast too. So these are the kinds of things that people really need to hear about. And they're going to connect with, whether it's in our industry or any industry, if they don't have a chance to be in the middle of something themselves um, or know somebody that has been, this is how people are going to connect more, is being able to hear these stories. So I encourage everybody to um, follow Disaster Heroes and this is all just stuff that I do on my own time, on my own dime, to be able to get the message out and to spend the time sharing and um, encouraging everybody to focus on the positive and that we all have a role to play. We can be not only our own heroes, but we can be heroes to others in so many ways that we don't really imagine possible. Goose bumps. That is fantastic. That is probably a perfect note for us to end our conversation. Again, man, we could talk for hours on this, but Let's neither do this of us again has. In the future. Sounds good. All right, Suzanne, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And yeah, I think my people will talk to your people. <laughs> all right, perfect. And thanks for all that you do, and thanks for doing this. And I look forward to continued partnerships. Sounds great. Thank you very much.